you know, when we start feeling better, we just can't stop. You know, you get addicted to feeling good. And then the whole idea of buying another slice of pizza or doing takeout from a Chinese takeout where you don't know what the hell they're putting in the food, it just becomes gross because I will ask myself on a regular basis, like, what do you need? And the body will tell me. And so, you know, like I said, we, we get addicted to feeling good. And just listening to that and honoring that is my biggest thing right now. That's Magdalena Shalaki, and this is episode 215 of Wellness Force Radio. What's up, my friend? It's your host, Josh Trent, and welcome back to another episode for your weekly access to global experts in all things wellness as we discover the physical and emotional intelligence we need to live life well. In this podcast, we're talking about hormones and cooking, which at first glance could be deemed as separate silos. But as you'll learn on this special edition physical intelligence podcast, that cooking for hormone balance has a direct impact on healing a compromised immune system, supporting better digestion. And by the end of the show today, you'll have a higher level of intelligence with some actionable things you can do as soon as you're done listening to the podcast that'll give you a true starting point to set this clear path for understanding how to balance your own hormones. If you're experiencing brain fog, weight gain, digestive issues, this podcast is brought to you today for clarity by our partners at IntelliSkin.net, which is actually so perfect for today's show because the foods that we eat are just as important the breath that we breathe. And from these last 200 shows plus, we understand that if we're not breathing correctly, our wellness can suffer. But most people don't realize that posture is actually the number one factor in taking proper breaths, as well as our body's natural systems functioning well. If your shoulders are pulled back and you're breathing through your belly and through your diaphragm and your nose, research has shown that belly breathing, specifically nostril breathing, has the potential to lower stress by 30% or more throughout the day. You could do this easily now by getting a tactile response reminder from this technology, this smart compression. It's something that I learned about last year from Dr. Tim Brown, the co-medical director for the North American World Surf League. We interviewed him on episode 137, where he talked about this smart compression, this human technology. It's a top, a garment for men and women that you wear either as a standalone work shirt, but there's also travel and undershirts that you can wear as well that will literally give you a tactile response so you can pull your shoulders back so you can stop slumping and stand tall. Give this human technology smart compression a test drive over at IntelliSkin.net. Use code WF20 for 20% off your test drive to pull your shoulders back. Use code WF20 at IntelliSkin.net. And once you're breathing correctly, then it comes to the food that we eat so we can start feeling and living well. Magdalena is going to share with us the different types of symptoms men and women can be experiencing when they have hormone imbalances, estrogen dominance, why it's one of the easiest hormone imbalances to undo and its relation to our thyroid function, how cleaning products, these toxic cleaning products can be disrupting our neurotransmitters, the purpose of doing an elimination diet as a first step to eliminate problematic inflammatory foods, how Magdalena revamped her diet, skincare, community, and lifestyle to heal her own health conditions, to now lead a community across the world doing the same. We also got practical on this show. When you're traveling, when you're making dinner, what do you actually do to promote healthy hormones? Magdalena believes that the real healing comes when we address both the physical and the emotional hurt. And our gut and hormone health comes after that. Show notes from today are at wellnessforce.com forward slash 215. Share this podcast with a friend or a family member, somebody who maybe is at work that needs support in what they're working on in their wellness. And over the next 30 days, if you personally are calling in support, 
for your own wellness journey. You're struggling with something. You're working on more energy. You're letting go of weight. I want to talk to you on the phone. I want to learn about what you are personally struggling with in a 20-minute call over the next month for a limited time for the first 20 people that sign up for a 20-minute call. I will pick your brain. You get to pick my brain for an ultimate Q&A. I want to learn about you in this conversation so I can understand how we can grow this community and I can serve this community deeper and more practically. And also together, how we can become wellness warriors. That's what this world needs right now. It takes a wellness warrior, to live our life well in this world. It's not set up. Our current environment is not set up for us to be emotionally and physically intelligent and healthy. It takes a wellness warrior like you to create that. So let's jump on the phone for a 20-minute call where I can support you. Just go to wellnessforce.com forward slash call. The first 20 people that sign up, I cannot wait to connect with you. I want to know how I can help you the most. Wellnessforce.com forward slash call for all my fellow wellness warriors out there. Now let's jump in with certified nutrition coach and founder of Hormones Balance, Magdalena Shalaki. Magdalena Shalaki, the nutrition expert and founder of Hormones Balance, a nutrition practice that teaches women how to rebalance their hormones with nourishing food. But what's really fascinating about Magdalena is that she became a Cooking for Hormones Balance global leader in educating women and men about the power of food for their healing. Yet most people don't know that her mother actually hated to cook. Uh, She learned about this so much in her own path. Magdalena, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I, I love the, the, the piece that you picked up <laughs> from the whole book. Yes. You know, this book, it's just this beautiful guidebook for people to balance their hormones. Food, it's such a powerful piece of the wellness wheel. You know, we talk about this on the show so much. Today, we're focused on the physical intelligence, our eating, our moving, our sleeping. And in this eating category, a lot of people don't know that when hormones are off, it doesn't necessarily even matter what you're eating until you address the underlying cause. And we're going to dive into that today. Now, I want to learn a little bit more about you live on the show, though. You're in Boulder, but something tells me you're not originally from Boulder. Where are you from originally? Yeah, so I'm, I was born to Polish parents. Uh, however, my father had an expatriate job. And so we bounced around the world. That's why it's kind of hard to pin my accent and it can change depending who I talk to. <laughs> um, but, you know, I spent most of my life in Asia. And so very formative years, like age 15 to till I was 32. Um, and that really impacted how I look at food because in Asia, food often is used. There, there's a very thin line between where medicine begins and where food ends, you know. Mm. In Asia, their food quality is probably incredible compared to the general school systems that we see here. Would you say that's true? Very much so. Um, And, you know, with a little caveat that things are changing, you know, in China with a single child policy, you have you're beginning to see obese children, which China has never had never seen before. So it's changing, but you're right that there is still a lot of great options, definitely better than what we have here. Yeah. And it's fascinating to me because so many people that write in, you know, they have children, they're caring for young boys, young girls. And the number one thing that I hear is I can't necessarily take care of them when they're away from my home. If there's Cheetos, if there's unhealthy food at schools, Mm -hmm. if they're at parties, whatever it is, let's save some time in our upcoming conversation to talk about a parent's role in structuring, you know, eating habits for the child when they're not at home. Uh, Let's dive into cooking for hormone balance. This is a practical guide. This is a practical program. 125 recipes. Are these all handwritten? Did they all come from Magdalena's brain? (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, 100%. Yeah. These totally. recipes, they're all in alignment with healthy hormone balance. But, you know, we could go so many different different directions today. I'm excited to. Let's just start 30,000 feet, though. When we look at commonalities between symptoms, uh, what are some of these that are aligned with hormone imbalances? Uh, let's start with a high-level view of maybe a handful of symptoms that women could be experiencing when they're having hormone imbalance. Yeah, so you know what? Uh, I think Josh, this is that's a really great question. That's such an important question because I think most women have an inkling that something is going on. You know, when we have things like PMS or infertility going on, or when we are sliding into perimenopause, where our periods are just you know where the word normal doesn't doesn't apply for you know for those few years, uh, we'll be sliding into menopause and we walk into a room and forgetting why we walked in there. I think most women have have a pretty good understanding that hormones are at play here, right? But there's there's a whole host of other symptoms <clears throat> that we don't particularly connect to hormones because the common, you know, the pop culture, if you will, hasn't done that. Doctors don't talk to us about it. Um, and that's, it was part of the inspiration to create the book. So let's just dive into some very specific ones. You know, the way we look, so everything from, for example, storing fat around our hips or carrying it around the belly could be specific hormonal imbalances like you know, for example, the woman who is a pear who just cannot lose that weight around her thighs and, and butt is your typical, that's typically estrogen dominance. And we can talk about that condition later. Um, you know, somebody who's storing a lot of fat around her belly, that's a typical metabolic uh, issue that's caused oftentimes by high sugar levels, high insulin, high testosterone levels in women, right? You know, speaking of how we look, the quality of our hair, which is such a big deal for a woman, right? can be dictated by, for example, by the thyroid. The mm. fact that we can have facial hair growing in our chins or nipples or, you know, which is so devastating for so many women that can also be due to hormonal imbalances. Quality of our skin, you know, like for example, skin that starts to sag and we're beginning to lose muscle, right? That can be due to estrogen dominance, low estrogen or low testosterone levels. But, you know, also mental stuff. So how sharp are we? Foggy brain, forgetfulness, right? Or on, on the contrary, will be good memory. Uh, how sharp we are in our thinking, um, but also how optimistic and how much of a, you know, positive outlook we have on our lives can also be dictated largely by hormones, something that a lot of women don't realize, like things like depression, anxiety, foggy brain be, can be due to a whole different host of different hormonal imbalances. Yeah, I know so many people are probably raising their hand or they're driving in their car and they're nodding their head because depression, foggy brain, you know, skin issues, fat storage around the waist and hips, and even hair. I was talking with a friend yesterday and she was telling me when her hormones were off, her hair was actually coming out in the shower. It was freaking her out. It was like hair in the drain. So let's talk about the hair specifically when we look at your work, and we're also going to dive into your story. I know you've had an incredible story, Magdalena, of overcoming your own health issues. But when we look at the hair coming out, what typically is that? What are they missing and what do they need? Yeah, so hair is interesting because it's not, you know, it's not just a cosmetic thing. Some women will be like, oh, you know, I'm just so, uh, I don't want to be pedantic or be, you know, overly concerned about my look. But it's really a sign something is going on. So if it's a hormonal problem, because, you know, it can be due to the toxicity or low vitamin B12 levels or low biotin. There could be a host of different issues with hair. But from a hormonal perspective, it's typically the thyroid. And when we have a low thyroid function, the hair starts falling out. And it generally tends to be all around and, um, and especially on the sides um, of the head. And if it, a woman is balding right in, in the middle, like you know, the crown kind of balding, we call it, 
it's almost like a patch that starts developing. That's oftentimes due to high testosterone levels in women. And oftentimes women who lose their hair and on the crown, they also begin to grow hair in the very unwanted places, you know, like mm. the upper upper lips, chins, um, nipples, etc. Yeah, that is not a popular place. Uh, no okay. one wants that to happen. I'm curious, can we, can we talk about the high testosterone then? Because in my mind, I would think, okay, with more testosterone, maybe the hair would actually be thicker and fuller, but that actually can cause an imbalance where the hair falls out on the head and grows other places. Yeah. So, you know, the, the word is balance, right? There is, we don't want to have too much or too little of any hormone. And even as women, we need testosterone and you guys, you need to, some level of estrogen as well. So it's not like, you know, that we don't need any of those hormones. The, the question here is of balance. And with women, you know, testosterone, um, high testosterone typically happens when we have high blood sugar levels. So, you know, that's your typical fasting glucose, you know, when you go and see your doc, um, it's gonna be on a high side or the marker that I prefer to use is called HA1C. That's more, much more accurate in blood sugar levels. And women like that tend to have elevated blood sugar levels, which then what, they, what, it, what happens is there is a hormone called sex hormone binding globulin. Just bear with me here for a second, but I just want to show you how it's all connected, you know, on a bio, biochemical level. The sex hormone binding globulin will be very, very low when we have blood sugar levels, and hence it doesn't bind the testosterone. So that woman like that would have so much of testosterone you know, in her body that that will result in that hello, as I was talking about, and the unwanted hair. But it's not just the hair, you know, let me just kind of look, look back just for one second about the symptoms, because I think it was such an important question you asked. Mm. And I want to talk about some of the symptoms that are really very, um, very disturbing. And a lot of women don't realize that that's due to hormonal imbalances. Um, high testosterone, for example, can also be causing things like polycystic ovarian syndrome, you know, which is the leading cause of infertility in this country. Um, and doctors give us then horrendous medications that do a lot of destruction to the liver and our gut in order to control that symptom. Or they put us on birth control pills, which is, has got its own set of side effects, most of them very negative, and especially in the long term. But, you know, Josh, even things like fibrocystic breast or breast lumps, which almost every woman who I know had a either fibrocystic breast or a lump on her boob at some point in her life. And I can tell you that, and I'm sure you know this, you know, for having women in your life, that is one of the most, is the scariest moment in your life when you find that lump, right? And, you know, it's just a whole confusion about how do I get it diagnosed and, you know, who do I go and see? And you get scared by the medical institutions, right? And so, and then guess what? <laughs> fibrocystic breast and lump on our breast, most of the time are caused by a condition called estrogen dominance, which is one of the easiest uh, hormonal imbalances to to undo. And, you know, if you wish, we, we can talk about that later. But also things like breast cancers, you know, 90% of breast cancers in this country, and mind you, one in seven women will will get breast cancer in this country, which is the highest that we've ever seen. And it's not going away, by the way. Our diagnostics are getting better, but the condition itself isn't, mm. you know, isn't getting any better. Um, you know, it, most of women's breast cancers, Josh, are estrogen dominance. We call it estrogen receptor positive breast cancers, which are due to estrogen dominance, again, as a condition. The fastest growing cancer in the country is a thyroid cancer, you know, and, and it's not most of them. They don't they don't metastasize, mm. but, you know, most of people will lose their thyroid. Right. It's going to get they're going to get a full um, thyroidectomy and they're going to lose their thyroid, which means that you have you're dependent on 
on hormone medication for the rest of your life, right? Okay, what is going on? It seems like there's a cascade of of cancer rising, not just with thyroid, but with breast and everything else. And if we trace it back, Magdalena, it really comes down to the foods that we eat and the emotional state that we're in. This is really powerful because I almost want to ask this big question of like, what are we eating? Is the is it the plastic in the foods? Is it the phytoestrogens when people pop something into the microwave? Like what's really going on when we look at estrogen's role in these types of cancers? Yeah, so you know, we like to point thing to uh, point things to one thing, right? And and the truth of that, uh, Josh, is that there isn't one thing. Um, but you mentioned many of them. It's a lot of times is the perfect storm, right? Is the contribution of a number of different things all happening at the same time. Starting off with genetic predispositions, and I want to just stress the word predisposition. It means that you're inheriting a, a loaded gun, but something needs to still pull the trigger, right? And pulling the trigger. So for, just to give you an example, like I have all the genetic predispositions to be super, you know, to, to have all the estrogenic cancers. So that will be breast, thyroid, ovarian, uh, uterine, uterine cancer, all estrogenic cancer. And by the way, prostate in men, before I forget, because we talk about women a lot here, but a lot of women have partners and husbands who have prostate issues. And guess what? Prostate issues in men are due to estrogen dominance as well, right? And not yeah. to mention men yeah. boobs. Uh, also estrogenic uh, issues, right? Men boobs are just as least popular as the hair on the lip for women. This is not what we want. And I can tell you, men are beginning to get a lot of breast cancers now too. So, you know, anyway, so to answer your question, yes, yeah, so it's a combination of how genetically predisposed, and you can get that done through like testing through 23andMe and then get somebody to interpret the results for you. You know, like you said, the xenoestrogen, xeno as in comes from Greek as in outside, external, external estrogens that come in from you know, the mainstream brands of skincare products, cleaning stuff, you walk into, you know, you, you, you see the brands that are advertised in all the major magazines and TV, like those are the brands you just don't want to touch. That stuff is just loaded with chemicals that are, will be contributing towards estrogen dominance. But, you know, looking also what we're putting on, what we're eating and is equally important. So, you know, when you, when you don't eat organic food, right, everything from the pesticides and fertilizers that we are using, all of that can be turned into uh, the unbeneficial estrogens in the body. Mm. Lastly, well, not lastly, but a birth control pills, another humongous contributor. Another one, you know, which a lot of us don't realize is stress. When we are stressed out, we produce cortisol. Cortisol steals progesterone in women. And progesterone is there to offset estrogens work. So when we are depleted of estrogen, right, and, and you know, just to give you an example, for instance, um, and I'm sure a lot of listeners will relate to this, and every, almost everyone, I think, has knows somebody who ex experienced a family who's been trying to conceive for like five, ten years, right? Yeah. And they just can't. And they do everything from, you know, Chinese herb to standing upside down and see, you know, do IVFs and whatever. Nothing works, right? And then they, they give up and, and then they go and adopt a child, right? And then boom, a year later, she gets pregnant. Right. And and that happens to a lot of adoptive families. And that is a classic case of somebody who was so stressed out for wanting to get pregnant, no matter what. Right. That finally, when she falls in love and there's peace and love in the family, there's bonding, you know, her hormones re-regulate and she has sufficient progesterone of her own then to conceive. And so that's a classic. And this is just a good example of how, 
stress can also bring down our hormones just to a total, um, you know, to really to destroy the balance. Now, oh, this is so cumulative. There's there's yeah. so many pieces to this thing, too. And I want to connect a few dots because you've already shared so many gems here. We're talking about really this estrogen dominance factor, how that feeds into cancer. And then also, you know, the stress aspect, how we're sleeping, if we're not repairing and restoring our brain health and our emotional health, too. And so the plastics that we're putting in the microwave, that's just one piece of it here, whether it's yeah. plastic or sleep or, or, or these stress conditions, this is what's actually rising the estrogen in the body, correct? That That is correct. And I'm happy you mentioned stress. That's another, you know, I wouldn't connect sleep directly to, um, to estrogen dominance per se, but put it this way, if you have especially things like issues with your adrenals, which are really the mother of all other hormones, then they can pull and support all other hormones all at the same time. When you're not sleeping sufficiently or you're having poor quality sleep, you can't fall asleep or you're waking up in the middle of the night, you know, you're waking up tired. Uh, there is just no hormonal balance when we are sleep deprived, period. You know, so that's another another element here. But everything you mentioned, you know, it's like, like I said at the beginning, it's this perfect storm. It isn't just one thing. Yeah. yeah this, this gut repair that you talk about in the book so much, there's incredible detail in this cooking for hormone balance. There's not just recipes for foods that'll help balance hormones. There's also your story and there's these tactical, pragmatic, really nuts and bolts things. I think what confuses people so much, Magdalena, is they go, okay, I know the story, but tell me what to do when my feet are on the ground. Tell me what to do in the kitchen. Like, how do I do this on a day-by-day kind of step-by-step approach? You have this hormone foundation where you take someone through a gut healing guide and elimination diet, followed by the sugar balance, then liver detox, and then refining the hormone balance. I think so many people will go to a naturopath, they'll start doing sublingual drops, they'll start throwing a bunch of supplements into their body without ever addressing the gut first. Let's talk about the first step people take when they really see where they are in relation to these hormones and balancing with the gut. I'm so impressed you actually read my book. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, no, you're right. And, you know, and and just in defense of naturopaths, and because I have a lot of friends who are in that space, um, you know, a lot of times us as patients, we are to be blamed for tactical solutions or walking away with, you know, 20 bottles of supplements, right? Because a lot of times... People, that's what people expect, instant results, instant healing. And naturopaths, you know, so many of my friends who are naturopaths and integrative docs will say, if I ask my patients to change their diet, they're never going to come back. So, you know, your listeners are in a very small, in a sliver of the population who are actually willing to make any changes. And kudos to you for doing that because it's going to pay off for the rest of your life. To me, doing things like some lingual, for example, B12 or whatever you're doing, right? It's a little bit like imagining when your house has a leaky roof and <clears throat> the B12 is like a bit like like having potpourri in a house, you know, or slapping some, you know, a, a bunch of paint on where the mold is developing on the wall. Yes. Right? I like where you're going with this metaphor. I love this. Yeah. yeah. So what I have done is, you know, having worked with so many women over the years, what I've realized that. It's not about the dim, you know, dim, for example, if you have estrogen dominance issue, a lot of docs like to integrative docs will give you dim, methane to help you metabolize estrogen better. And, you know, and that can help. But if this person has got messed up digestion, chronic digestive issues, and let's talk about that in a second, and is binging on living on sugar and coffee, right? You know, this, that dim can only go that far. And it might help maybe for a couple of weeks, couple of months, and then it stops working or it just doesn't work at all, right? So that's what, what my experience has been. So when you lay the foundation, it's a little bit like when you're building a home, 
you know, you want to have a strong foundation because whatever you put on top, it just doesn't really matter, you know, as long as the foundation is strong, right? And in the context of hormones, like you mentioned, you know, the three bodily systems, and I use the analogy of a three-legged stool. If you want to sit comfortably on a three-legged stool, right, all the three legs need to be firmly in place. One of them is missing or is shorter, you start wobbling, you fall. In the context of hormones, it's the health of your, like you said, it's the health, health of your digestion, your sugar balance and the liver's ability of detoxify you from various substances, including hormones. That's something that we don't realize how powerful the liver is to actually help us to detoxify us from hormones to make space for new ones. So gut health is incredibly important. I mean, you know, the whole there's a whole chapter that's dedicated to that. It's just very on a high level. You know, you start off with the elimination diet just to eliminate the potential trigger foods that could be highly inflammatory. And I showed their whole guide on how to, what are the foods, what are the foods to remove, but that also, some people need to go a little bit deeper. Let me give you an example here, Josh. You know, I think everybody knows that gluten and dairy might not be particularly complementary to a lot of people. They're highly inflammatory, unfortunately, to a lot of women. So if you want to cut them out, especially temporarily, just to heal up. But then you have also these very healthy foods, like, for example, sauerkraut, right? Or, for, you know, for some people, kombucha, avocado. Well, guess what? When you have different um, digestive issues going on, you know, there's so many people, for example, now having histamine issues. They eat that sauerkraut and then they're like itching all over. They're getting anxiety attack. They can't sleep. They start getting allergies soon after, you know, after having a bit of sauerkraut, right? And that's so, so what I teach in the first chapter in the digestion is to really how to st- restore your digestion so that you bring down the inflammation, the chronic systemic inflammation in the body. And the importance of it is that, you know, all the, your cells, in order to receive the hormones into the cell, into the receptor of the cell, they cannot be inflamed. When they're inflamed, and this is the reason, when they're inflamed, that hormone just doesn't come in and do the work, you know, to give you this beautiful hair and ability of losing weight and be sharp in the head and having a lot of great energy and to play around with the kids you know, all of that comes from the hormones doing their work. But when you're inflamed, it's just the inflammation is like a natural blocker. Um, and what I have found is that, you know, we 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 do all these like, oh, I'm going to do my omega-3s and fish oils and this and that. While you're eating inflammatory foods, you're constantly adding fuel to the fire, right? So that's why, you know, the whole cookbook is free of gluten, dairy, eggs, soy, corn, I also remove nightshade vegetables, so things like peppers, tomatoes, eggplants. Because, And I'm not demonizing these foods, by the way, by any means, at least not all of them. For example, eggs are a good example. They can be a, a, a friend. Can they also be a foe? Um, 50% of women I have found I've worked with in the past had a problem with eggs, but completely without realizing that. Um, so, you know, that's that's really the starting point. And what I have seen, Josh, is that a lot of times when we take care of our digestion first, so many things, so many, not just hormones, but just overall our entire, you know, body and energy and our weight and, and everything responds so well that we don't oftentimes even need to do anything. <laughs> this is such How a great that? point. I love your analogy, by the way. If you're leaky, if you have a roof that's leaky, it doesn't matter if you have potpourri in the bathroom. Like that's what's happening when there is people and, and they're they're doing great things. I'm not I'm also not knocking natural paths or anyone who's trying to help other people. But I think what gets skipped over is this more sometimes complicated. I think that's why people don't want to address it. Healing of the gut can take one to three months, gosh, even six 
six to 12 months, right? Like healing the gut takes time. That's why you have an entire guide through this elimination diet protocol in your book. So we look at the foods like gluten, like dairy, even soy. And then for some people, they can't have peppers or certain things that are nightshade components. This process though, it's typically around a month, right? Like a reset portion of 30 days. How many days do you recommend when people actually do this protocol for removing the possible inflammatory causing foods? Yeah, so four weeks is a good starting point. And from experience, uh, people end up doing six to eight weeks just because they feel so good that a lot of times they just even have a lot of the fear to introduce some of these foods because they have a memory of just how crappy they used to feel. You know, pains, aches, uh, foggy brain, can't sleep, anxiety attacks. You know, people have those memories and suddenly when all these things go away just from doing the elimination diet, uh, you know, our PMS has improved. Like women don't have PMSs anymore when they stop eating gluten or dairy. It's quite unbelievable. And so, yeah, so so to answer your question, four weeks is the minimal. And if you really want to kind of like heal and seal your gut, so to speak, then doing it to four to uh, six to eight weeks is probably best. Six to eight weeks would be maybe a more optimal window. And we look at some of the work of Rob Wolf and David Perlmutter and people that are colleagues of yours, you know, that are yeah. really allowing men and women to just slow down. Magdalena, don't you think really what you're also teaching is for us to take a well-deserved deep breath and just to be more still and understand that when we make these conscious decisions about our foods and really start tuning in to to what our body is telling us. I mean, look, all the wisdom is within. You went through a massive period in your life where you had rashes on your back. You couldn't even wear clothes that were open. You had to wear covering clothes. There was a lot of emotional things you're experiencing because of these physical symptoms. It was only until, and I'd love for you to share your story here. It was only until you slowed down and started really paying attention to what you were eating, to what you're putting in this beautiful body that you had. Take us through that story because I think a lot of people will connect with you. Yeah. So, you know, Josh, a lot of times people ask me like, and I think this is one of the most powerful questions a person can ask herself or himself. And this is, I would ask our listeners as well here today, if you were to give yourself, you know, some kind of health advice 10 years ago, what would that be? Slow down. (laughs) (laughs) Slow down. Yeah. And, you know, especially living in the United States, it's almost unheard of, right? I mean, we laugh about the on the, about the Europeans and the siestas and, you know, two-month vacations and that kind of thing. But, you know, there's a good reason behind it. In my case, you know, the health advice I would have given myself 10 years ago, and I, and I did accept it to some degree, was to really tune into and listen to what my body's trying to tell me. Because my body has been slowly shutting down for a long time. But because I was living a very high life and working in, in advertising and, you know, so I, I used to basically work for an advertising agency living in, in China at that point when I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's in 2008. And I still remember going to see the doc and she, you know, she was the conventional allopathic doc. And she looked at, and, and one of my chief complaints was that I was experiencing severe fatigue and uh, brain fog. And she looked at, she turned my file around and she says, you're 36 years old. Of course you're tired. <laughs> wow. Right? Wow. And, and, you know, here I am living in Shanghai, which sees, you know, people in their 80s and 90s doing Tai Chi along the river at five o'clock in the morning. And I'm like, are you kidding me? So anyway, so this is when I realized that something is really wrong. When I started researching, you know, and realized that Hashimoto's is an autoimmune disease. And that means that my own body is confused and is beginning to, to kill its own cells. 
that's when I realized this is not right. This is like, what, what have I done? What is going on in my body that that kind of, you know, that kind of self-destruction is, has begun to happen. And mind you, in 2008, we did not have the kind of resources that we have today. I mean, today, just, you know, today we kind of go on the other side of the spectrum. If you look at Hashimoto's, I mean, there are probably 20 books today on Hashimoto's, right? Yeah. Which can also be confusing because different people have different approaches. And so anyway, quite frankly, I I think my health really kind of started off on the wrong foot right from the beginning. To start off with, I have genetics that are uh, horrible. I mean, if you if you just look at my printout of my genetics, I literally have red boxes almost in every, I would say a third of the genes, which basically means I have double mutations on them, uh, which means that they compromise a normal functioning person to a very, very large degree. When I went to see my naturopathic doctor here in Boulder, when I had a first session with her and she said to me, have you ever had breast cancer? I said, well, why would you ask me that? And she said, well, you know, just women in, in their in their late 40s, the way you are, that's you're a perfect candidate for having that. In fact, most women I see with your kind of genetics would have had estrogenic cancers like breast cancer by now. Right. And I think the only reason why I don't is because I, you know, I, I take care of myself. Uh, so genetics is one thing. But, you know, it's also having been born to a mother who bought into the 1970s idea that um, mother's milk is less beneficial than powdered milk. So I was a powdered milk maybe. I was never breastfed. Ended up in a hospital already in the first month with pneumonia, uh, pumped with antibiotics, right? So right from the beginning, having no good bacteria and then whatever good bacteria I had, pretty much all of that got wiped out. Wow. I want to pause there too. And I want to just start to interrupt you here because this is really, really powerful. I think I look at the way that you just went over. Oh, I was actually raised on powdered milk in the beginning rather than the natural breast milk. I look at my own life. I look at other people's lives, Magdalena, like yours, that in those first three years of living from conception to three, maybe three to seven years old, it's so important that we have a primal way of being cared for, of eating. And it sounds like you weren't. And this happens with babies that are born cesarean they don't get the natural chemicals that and estrogens from the uh from the placenta from the mother's birth looking back do you feel like this is where it all began for you you know the the issues that you've had as an adult and all the things you went through was it because you didn't have that primal upbringing Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, and and the direct uh, comparison to this will be my sister who my mother kind of regained her wisdom uh, to some degree. (laughs) You know, And (laughs) my sister was a breastfed baby. She didn't have any other problems that I did. And so immune system weak right from the get go. Right. Like I mentioned, pneumonia and then covered in eczema, which is also actually a form of an autoimmune response covered as a child, um, chronic ear infections and sinus infections. You know, Josh, I don't remember much when I was five, but I do remember being taken to the hospital for uh, ear drainage because I had so much pus in the ears. Yeah. Um, you know, and then later becoming that, that became cystic acne, constant migraines, terrible PMSs, constantly bloated in the tummy, right? So, uh, you know, and then finally I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's in 2018. So it was, I think it was just a final blow that my body's just been been bashed up so badly. Um, and, you know, also be- just before I was diagnosed, living in China was one of the most exhilarating experiences. Just really, I mean, being in Shanghai was just the, you know, the highlight of my life, really. Uh, but it was also a time of 
you know, a lot of alcohol. I never did drugs, right? But I smoked, you know, and being up at five o'clock in the morning to hit the gym uh, because I was a semi-professional athlete and I had a, a sponsorship with for my team and we did adventure races. And uh, so Wait, the, you were smoking and doing adventure races? Yeah. How is mm -hmm. that even possible? I pulled it off and we did pretty well. I don't know. Um, I think you just hit the gym and just continue doing it. I, yeah. <laughs> You're such a different person now looking back on what you've been through. What did you garner the most then? I mean, coming from this non-primal way of being, you know, Rose, your mom did the best she could. And by the way, our parents always do the best they can. Uh, yes. You know, they're just dealing with the information they have at hand. Uh, yes. Coming from this non-primal upbringing to then smoking and adventure races and going through all the, the health issues and thresholds you have compared to who you are now and who you serve now. What did you learn the most about yourself? What did you think you needed back then? So like you said, you know, about the slowing down, um, I resigned from my job and in soon after, like once I got the diagnosis and I understood what was going on, kind of, right. I, I just, I just felt like if I continue living in China in a toxic, this was 2008, you know, this is the year of the Olympics, right? So in the U S you guys probably saw the photos of, you know, the pollution, right. And the dirty rivers and all that, which is all, which is all true. There was no media manipulation that living in there I can tell yeah. you, like you just never knew what the hell you were putting in your body. Right. So I knew that I needed to get out of that. And, and I was so glad that I listened to that advice that, 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 that little, you know, that little voice that was saying, get the hell out of here. And this is when I moved to the United States, um, with a, with another job, it took a huge pay cut and, you know, stepped down from a regional job to like being a support, almost a support staff. Yeah, but you also <laughs> saved your life. Oh, totally. Totally. I mean, you know, in China we sold the agency and we had a two year payout. I only took like 20% of what was owed to me. And I just, and I resigned and my boss was like, are you crazy? Like this can set you up for life. And I'm like, you know, the money that I'm going to get in two years time is going to go towards my medical bills just to save my life. So absolutely. I got out of there and, you know, so I think the elimination diet, just immediately embarking on anti-inflammatory lifestyle, which included getting off all the foods um, that I talked about and detoxification, you know, living in a place like I moved to Seattle, right? So that was pretty easy, nice, clean uh, environment. And uh, took a significantly slower job. I stopped traveling. I was um, in, in a regional job. I was constantly on a plane. So I was covering Asia, right? So I was on the plane two times a week uh, fly, flying somewhere. Yeah. You know, and, and you live off hotel food and crappy airport food, right? So, and so that, you know, just, just cooking for yourself and having control what you put in the body. Changed my entire skincare regimen completely. You know, nothing that, that you can see in um, advertised in television, that's for sure. Smaller brands, learned how to make my own things. Simplifying things, you know, just really, really slowing down. Started doing meditation. I went to do a meditation. They call it a retreat, but it was more like a boot camp, silent meditation for a month in India. Um, so, you know, just a whole combination of things and surrounding myself with really supportive uh, community of people who are very like-minded. Yes. I'll be honest with you today. I don't have a lot of friends from my advertising days. We live very different lifestyle. They probably think, um, you know, you know, it's a little bit too of a radical change for them. <laughs> Why is Magdalena floating wearing a white cape? <laughs> right. <laughs> so I'm thinking about this, this journey. And thank you so much for sharing this journey. You talked about it in the book as well in, in cooking for hormone balance. You actually said that your mom hated to cook and uh, your grandmother made food that was so bland. You would like eat the spinach and then go run to the bathroom and spit it out. But you also mentioned, and this is a big take home for so many millions of Americans and, and really people across the world. You, you said you learn how to cook because you had to, so you could save your life and your sanity. 
And I think that's honestly what is is one of the biggest gems from this conversation, Magdalena. So many people, so many women are not cooking. They're not cooking at home. They're not actually making their food. The majority of their food comes from packages and containers and bins. And they're wondering why the estrogen dominance is such an issue and why cancer is rising. How do we do this then? This is a really big question. How do we get people to cook more and to enjoy the cooking process? Yeah. So, you know, I think, first of all, I think this is a two-prong approach. One is the realization that, you know, it's funny in the United States, everybody continuously talks about Europe and aspires to Europe. So if you want to use another aspiration point, let me tell you, Europeans cook. You know, Europeans go shopping, food shopping at least twice a week, yeah. where in America, people go shopping like, you know, once, uh, once, twice a month, only because, you know, we, we buy so many packaged food. And I suspect your audience probably is not like that because otherwise they wouldn't be listening to your show. But but the point is, like, for those for those people who don't like to shop, first of all, when you do just if you can just give yourself the opportunity to do so just for a couple of weeks and get embark on this anti-inflammatory diet that I talk about in the book, you will, you know, when we start feeling better, we just can't stop. You know, you get addicted to feeling good. And then the whole idea of buying another slice of pizza of, from a corner deli, uh, you know, or doing takeout from a Chinese takeout where you don't know what the hell they're putting in the food, it just becomes gross because then you start burping and then your anxiety comes back and you're feeling so fatigued and you're feeling like really yucky in your tummy. And so, you know, like I said, we, we get addicted to feeling good. So if you can just give yourself a, the permission to just to try this for a couple of weeks, that's the first thing. The second thing is, you know, starting off with really simple recipes uh, that taste really, really good. You know, Josh, one of the big things I remember when I was, um, I was one of the very few people when I was living in New York who would actually cook and invite friends over because, you know, New York is such a go out culture. Right. Mm. And, you know, and I didn't quite like a lot of the food in New York at that, you know, back then, seven, eight years ago, the focus in New York was more in like where the chef came from, you know, and all these accolades that he had rather than asking the question, where's the food coming from? Like, what am I putting in my body? Right. Something that's so different, for example, in California or Colorado. So, and whenever I have a dinner party at my house, the constant remark that I was always getting was, oh my God, I can't believe it's so healthy. It was so quick for you to make this. It's so simple, but it tastes so good. And and that's, you know, that's really a, a big shift because a lot of times we think that healthy means a boring kale, a raw kale salad. <laughs> like right. It doesn't drizzle, have to suck. Yeah. Of, yeah. Drizzle of olive oil and like two drops of, of lemon. No, it doesn't have to be that way. You know, I don't, I personally don't even like kale. So, <laughs> so there you have it, you know? Yeah. And if you look at my recipes, Josh, you know, it's like so many of them have uh, under 30 minutes. So many of them use no more than five ingredients. So many of them are not even, don't require cooking, but more of putting things together and I'm playing around a lot with ingredients that can sit in the fridge for a significant amount of time, like fermented foods, for example, you know, or certain things that are healthy can't, you know, you can just open it up and put them together so it doesn't require cooking. So bottom line is surround yourself with simple, yummy recipes that really require, that can, you can, you know, you can pull it off in 20 minutes. Batch cooking is another great idea, right? Spend, you know, four hours on a Sunday, just 
cook up a storm, have it till like Wednesday, Thursday. Yes. I'm so glad you mentioned batch cooking. You know, we're going to talk about that in an upcoming show and this batch cooking, it's like making a little bit more food so you can eat healthy later. Proactivity around our self-love, it starts way before we get home from a travel and we're exhausted and there's nothing. It really begins weeks in advance. Uh, Give people maybe some tactical tools they can do when they're traveling. How do you personally address this, Magdalena, when you travel? I'm sure you travel quite a bit. Uh, how do you prepare for when you come back home from a trip? So, you know, when I get home, I just, I just hit, you know, the health store and just get my supplies. But can I give you an example of like what I do when I travel? Cause that's the hard part. Oh right? yeah. This is the hard part, please. Right. So, you know, Josh, the big thing that I do is like, I just, you know, I just, I'm wrapping up a book, book launch in the tour. Right. And I was, so I was on the road for the past two months. And the big thing is, first of all, I would always rent an Airbnb to make sure there is a kitchen or kitchenette in it. Right. Go to the local, now Whole Foods almost in every city delivers, right? So a lot of times, like if I don't have a car, I would just get it get it delivered. They do it within two hours. So there's no excuse not to. And they call, it's called Instacart, right? Just pick whatever you want. And a lot of times I don't, you know, I don't have time to cook. So one of my favorite recipes, it's, that's also in the cookbook, it's called Farmer's Wife's Breakfast. That's my absolute go-to when I travel. So can I describe it, Josh, just quickly? What it yes, is? give us the dirty details. Well, actually, they sound okay. like clean details. Okay. <laughs> so the farmer's wise breakfast is, is paleo. So it's, you know, what I'll do is the base of the farmer's wise breakfast is a bed of greens because you want to get the greens in. And I love to work with cruciferous vegetables. So cruciferous vegetables will be things like, you know, arugula or mizuna or broccoli sprouts, broccoli, cauliflower, bok choy, right? Uh, all the cabbages. Um, are cruciferous veggies, and they are hugely supportive towards the liver. They help with liver detoxification, but they also help you to clear those estrogens that are causing these problems that we talked about earlier with you. So I'll put that, so I love arugula because it's a crucifer and I just love the taste of it. And then I'll drizzle it with just a little bit of olive oil and, uh, you know, and, and um, perhaps um, lime or lemon juice, right? So that's that's the kind of like a dressing, a dressing for the salad. And then what I'll do is having on a side a piece of protein, really, really important to have some protein first thing in the morning. So you, you stabilize your blood sugar levels. And so when I travel, like I said, I don't have time to cook. So typically I'll do a piece of smoked salmon or I will do, you know, I'll just buy a roasted chicken and have a piece of chicken on a side. And then I'll do a slice of some avocado right? So it gives you the good fat and gives you the sustenance. And then do a little bit of um, sauerkraut or kimchi on the side, right? So you've got the fermented foods going on the support, again, supportive for your uh, gut microbiome, for the good bacteria, for the gut, right? And you know what? That's pretty, maybe I'll sprinkle it with some uh, flaxseed. So flaxseed is one of the huge estrogen detoxifiers. It helps you to, it brings in good estrogens and it helps you to detoxify you from the bad estrogens. And, and that's that, you see what I mean? Like yeah. it's not even cooking. This literally takes you five minutes to put this together on a plate and, you know, and food is ready. Plus it's making me really hungry too. I'm like visualizing <laughs> this plate of food. Now I noticed Magdalena though, you didn't really have too much starch on the plate. Why is that? Yeah. So, you know, because I love to do starch like later in the day, the things like, for example, sweet potato, you know, it's a, it helps us to stabilize our blood sugar levels actually funny enough towards at night. And so I, I prefer to u- be working with starches later in the night. But, you know, if you can always add that in. If somebody wants to have a piece of sweet potato, they can always add that in. There's nothing wrong with that. The 
the, the idea behind what I'm describing, the kind of breakfast, is in my book, it's called a PFF kind of breakfast, protein, fat, and fiber. So protein, fat, fiber, rich breakfast. And, you know, Josh, I've lived in seven different countries. I've traveled to over 40. And one of the big takeaways is that when people are really healthy, one of the, the globally, what you will see in the healthy eating countries and where people really thrive, people never, ever eat sweet stuff for breakfast. Yeah. And that's, and that's You're so right. like whether you go to Ethiopia, you go to, you know, you go to, um, you know, Japan or you, you travel to Peru. If you talk about like traditional diets, no one ever eats sweet stuff for breakfast. They do, do some carbohydrates. And America then, came out with the pop tart, <laughs> <yep. laughs> which is not funny. I'm just, I, it's, it's, it's actually yeah. sad. And that's why I'm laughing at it because sometimes I, I used to get so worked up Magdalena, you know, when I started wellness force, I was so angry at the way things were. And, and we've been talking about how to design the plate and how to structure the plate with, I love this by the way, protein, fiber, and fat. This is a rich breakfast. But and can but, I tell you when, when women eat this way, when people eat this, and this is husbands as well, by the way. What I've been, you know, what, what women report is that they feel the, first of all, they, they stop craving coffee, sugar. So immediately your, your calories, I, I don't care to be honest with your calories, but I, I do care about if your calories are, are coming from, you know, sugar and snacks, just because at 11 o'clock your energy dips and we need something sweet to pick us up, so to speak, right? When you have a breakfast like that, you don't snack until lunchtime. You have a lot sustained energy throughout the day. You know, there is no cravings. There is no, like we women feel so focused on grounded, like none of the airy sort of, you know, anxious kind of thoughts rambling around. And the best part is, Josh, one of the women said to me once, you know, who transitioned, and she was like the biggest uh, opponent of this, right? She's like, you know, I want my fruit. I want my oatmeal in the, in the first thing in the morning. And I said to her, just try it for three days, please, and just tell me how it goes. She was a private client many years ago. And she became the biggest advocate of this. And she said to me, you know, Magdalena, in order to change my nights, I had to change my breakfast. And it was so powerful because she got off sleeping pills just from doing nothing else but changing her breakfast. Yeah. Right? Yeah, this goes back to what we talked about too with this proactive self-care. You know, you plan before you travel, as soon as you get home, you're not going to just go home and lay down and then order something that's unhealthy. You're going to go to the grocery store. It's taking this ownership. It's what I'm hearing from you. And there's some strategies in your book about this. It's taking loving ownership of your food, of your state, of your body, of you. Like that's why we're here on the planet. And so I want to ask this question then when it comes to the timing of this for people that are experiencing hormone imbalances, what are your thoughts on intermittent fasting for people that are currently experiencing a hormone imbalance? Is intermittent fasting a good idea? So, you know, so it's, it's an interesting question, right? Because depending on who you ask, um, you know, whether it's <laughs> Rob Wolf or the paleo community, the keto community, right? You know, they are so down for, for intermittent fasting. So my take on it is I always defer to the concept of bioindividuality. We all differ from each other. I find that a lot of the studies and the, you know, the anecdotal evidence comes from men and not necessarily women. And, and, you know, we have to remember that hormonally speaking, we are two such totally different animals. I mean, you really want to just, you know, say it as plainly as that <laughs> we are different animals. We, I love the way you put that. Yes, we are. 
And so intermittent fasting, I have found, especially for women, for example, who have a lot of adrenal issues going on, uh, problems with blood sugar control, their intermittent testing, uh, fasting just does not work. And especially combining that with coffee, no matter how much butter you want to, fat you want to put into it, is just, you know, you, you just have to listen to your body. And look, here's the thing. Just, you know, anyone should try it for a couple of weeks, you know, maybe even three days. Just Just do it for three days. And just listen to your body. Your body will tell you yeah. if it agrees or if it doesn't. You start getting shaky, unfocused. Josh, I can't do intermittent fasting to save my life. I just can't, you know. But I can fast. What I, for example, in my case, what I do is I do my own verf, like different version of it, which is I don't do food after six p.m. three times a week, right? So I would just like have dinner at five. So kind of like everything settles by six from that point on. I don't eat anything until the following morning breakfast, late breakfast, like ten o'clock. So. You know, and that makes me feel good. And going to, for example, going to sleep with an empty tummy actually will give you a lot better quality sleep and it releases the, the liver from having to do so much work. So so overall, I'm not a fan, but, you know, I, I see that working a lot really much better for men than it does for women. But hey, I think everybody should try it. I think so. And we all get to go down this path of self-experimentation. I'm, you know, currently, as we're interviewing here, I've been doing intermittent fasting where I've been skipping breakfast. I just interviewed Aubrey Marcus about this. And I'm like, you know what? I'm actually going to try it. I don't need to download it in a guide or read it on a PDF. Like you're saying, Magdalena, we get to try these things. And speaking of trying something, I want to save just one minute here to talk about adrenal fatigue and really actually diving into the unprocessed emotions trying to look at the things that are causing us stress. You talk about this in your chapter on adrenal healing, the adrenal healing guide. Uh, you mentioned stress originating from past or present physical exertion, emotional distress, or also unresolved trauma. This mm -hmm. can be just as powerful as digestive issues. How do people actually turn their head and look at these emotional traumas? How do they do that? What's the starting process? You know, so by the way, this is not an area of my expertise at all, but what I will share with you is that, you know, when I work with people who have changed a lot of things around their life in order to recover, the, to support the adrenals in their recovery, meaning, you know, they modify their diet to support it. They follow the guide that I have in the book, right? Uh, you know, they, they religiously get off coffee. They, they go to sleep early, right? And yet they display all the symptoms of adrenal, you know, they do all that, say, supplements and, you know, and take vitamin C and they own magnesium and all that good stuff, right? And things just, just, Things aren't just moving in the right direction, you know, as, as expected for six months, eight months, they're still suffering from a lot of symptoms. And this is what I've discovered is that, you know, when I was would dig deeper into issues with my clients, this is where things will come out. Well, yeah, but I actually come from an alcoholic parent, you know, family, right? Or there was raped, you know, rape, or I, or I witnessed my, you know, somebody committing suicide, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, and what I have discovered is only when they address that, this is when real healing really starts happening. And, you know, some people look, I mean, there are some people who've been in horrible car accidents and they move on and it just doesn't affect them, right? Uh, and there is others who, you know, just saw a, a dog being killed on the side of the road and, and then that lingers on with them for the next 20 years. They're still blaming the father for not doing anything about it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's, I think we all are, you know, it's, it's just, I think you would only know when you really address it. And there are so many beautiful modalities out there, uh, whether it's EMDR or brain spotting or, you know, somatic experiencing that releases that trauma and addresses that. And, and as a human, but, you know, as you know, as humans, we are so good at hiding these things because it's a natural protection mechanism, right? We forget a lot of times trauma. We bury that trauma 
so that we can function. The problem is that on the subconscious level, um, it can manifest a lot with a lot of diseases. So you would only really know this when you start working with a really good practitioner. Yes. And this is why I love the way your brain works, because this physical and emotional, there is such a bridge that connects the two of these. And I love how you've written about it in the book. We're going to link your book in the show notes, Cooking for Hormone Balance. I had a bunch more questions for you today, but I'm just going to ask you five ones really quickly, okay? The, okay. the first one is Dr. Isabella Wentz. She wrote the forward in your book. How has she impacted you? Hugely. She is uh, one of my biggest supporters, and she was the one. I never wanted to do a book. She said to me, you've got to do a book because you've got too much to say. You recently had a hip replacement. It was a double, I believe. And then yes. a few months later, you're out bouldering. What do you attribute to this? How'd you recover so quickly? The, the lifestyle that I described in the book, totally anti-inflammatory, took care of all the different angles, went to the surgery with the best health ever. We talk about physical intelligence on the show today specifically. What are you currently leaning into for your physical intelligence? In other words, do you have a new way of eating or moving or sleeping as a practice that you're currently working on? Uh, yes, I am working with somebody right now on looking deeper into my genetics to fine tune my diet even further. I'm feeling, I feel like I'm 90%. I want to feel a hundred percent. And that's why genetics I think is going to be the next frontier. Is it 23andMe or is it something else? Oh no, I'm working with somebody who interprets genetics and then aligns dietary changes based on the genetics. Ah, this sounds like a smart person. We talk about emotional intelligence on the show quite a bit that you're currently walking on. So in other words, what are possibly thoughts or feelings or actions that you're currently aware of and you're working on? You know, I just started a, a hashtag me care campaign with my community and that's about self-care. I've realized that just going through the book launch I've, I've completely missed that part and just listening to my body and how realization, how exhausted I was without realizing it because I was running on adrenaline. It was a huge aha moment to really slow down. And, um, and I'm just, I'm, you know, we'll get, you know what, Josh, I'm taking two months off. <laughs> <laughs> I love this hashtag me care. It's so primal sounding actually me care. And, and the reason why this is such a big deal is because you do a lot. You serve a lot of people, you know, hundreds of thousands of people are being affected by you every single month. How do you take care of yourself? What is your number one self-care practice? You know, I think the biggest one right now, because as my business has grown and name has kind of is, you know, the book has, has opened up a lot of opportunities. Um, I think the biggest thing for me right now is saying no to things. Yeah. Saying no is so powerful. Many times that's come up on the podcast and there's something so healthy. There's a healthy boundary that you've established when you say no. Yeah, because then that frees up your time for the things that you have, to, you know, you want to say yes to, uh, but you never, because, you know, it's, it's a, you know, in the space we're in, we, we, we thrive on helping other people, right? I mean, I thrive in getting those emails saying, you know, just how you, how women have, how it's completely changed their lives, right? But then when you do that, it's kind of like an addiction and, and that comes at a cost of taking care of myself and that has to change. Last question for you today, this intersection of physical and emotional, there's also the spiritual. Uh, what is wellness to you? How would you define Magdalena wellness? You know, I'll go back to what we said right at the beginning of the interview, and that is our, my body is sending very clear signals all the time and just allowing to listen to that and say, you know what, like I, I will ask myself on a regular basis, like, what do you need? And the body will tell me. And just listening to that and honoring that is my biggest thing right now. Well, I just want to honor you. This 
clarity, this permission to slow down, this cooking for balancing our hormones, you know, living in a way that the creator, that God, that higher intelligence, whatever you believed, put us on the planet for. Thank you so much. I want to acknowledge you for what you do, the contribution that you make to wellness, and also the thresholds that you've gone through and and the wellness warrior that you are. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much, Josh. You were a wonderful interview, I have to say. <laughs> well, hey, look, I really care about what I do and our, our audience deserves this, right? They want to know where can they actually get the tools that will affect them in the positive ways that they deserve. And also, by the way, too, I want to talk about your quiz, hormonesbalance.com quiz. This is where people can start. So go to hormonesbalance.com forward slash quiz. We'll also link this in the show notes. But what a joy to connect with you, Magdalena. And I'm sure we'll be talking to you soon. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Josh. Hey, my friend, thank you for hanging out and growing with me on today's show. Remember to hit subscribe, share this podcast with somebody you care about that you think gets to hear this message. Support the show by leaving a five-star review for the podcast right now, simply by tapping on your show artwork on your iPhone. Click that purple link that says review this podcast. It helps the show reach more conscious and smart people like you, and your voice will attract more world-class guests that want to come on the show. So let them hear your voice. For all the downloads, videos, links, and free resources mentioned on the episode, go to wellnessforce.com forward slash radio. And while you're at my house on the web, join us in the Wellness Force community newsletter on that page and I'll send you four free guides around staying healthy with your eating, moving, and sleeping while you travel. But don't let this conversation stop here. Join a group of people like you over at the Wellness Force community Facebook page. This is where we talk about the things that really matter. We share our wins, inspirations, struggles, and a lot more. So join us, tap on the show artwork on your phone and hit that purple link that says join the Facebook group and I will welcome you at the door. Okay, now you get to go out into your world and create impact for the people that you care about. So until I see you again real soon, I'm wishing you love and wellness.